Well, good morning, church family. Scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 11. Jesus is teaching us about prayer, to pray, whom we're praying, how we should pray, why we should pray. He's making us excited to pray. Hopefully, he's helping us. And so uh, this is the third sermon in a row on uh, Jesus teaching us to pray from Luke chapter 11. And we're reading this morning verses 9 to 13. What page is it on, Joe? 1616. 16, 16. Okay. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will not your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, um, at face value, this is just really, really simple. Uh, I've got four kids. We'll use Matthew for an example. He's downstairs. If Matthew asks me for a cup of juice, Daddy, can I have some apple juice? I'm not going to put a cup of gasoline in front of him, am I? I'm not going to put engine oil. I'm not going to put anything dangerous. I'm going to give Matthew something that it might not be juice, but I'm going to give him something that's going to nourish his body and satisfy his thirst. And so if I, being a human who is inclined toward sin and toward being selfish, If I know how to take good care of Matthew, how much more? How much more is in our perfect, holy, all-loving, all-powerful Father in Heaven going to take good care of us? Very simple, very straightforward. And so, I could tell a few good stories of our Father doing that. And I could give a few illustrations and we could all leave here this morning feeling really warm and good and comforted about what we've heard. And quite frankly, I think that would be really dangerous. Why do I think that? Because I think most of us have heard these words of Jesus before. I think most of us are somewhat familiar with them. And I think that most of us would say that we believe them even before we opened our Bibles this morning. But if we really believed Jesus... Don't you think it would be the case that for every one of us who believed these words, that person could also stand up and for at least an hour testify to the rest of us about the freedom and the joy and the confidence that they have in their prayer life in terms of bringing their requests to our Father in Heaven? And couldn't each person who could also talk for an hour about that freedom and joy and confidence also go on for at least two hours just telling story after story after story after story of asking and seeking and finding and having answered prayers? 
so perhaps, perhaps we need just a little bit more insight into these words that Jesus speaks to us about our Father. Perhaps we need to slow down and ask whether we really believe them. And I believe that the place where we want to begin is to pay special attention to this, to the fact that we're being taught what it's like to be a son or a daughter of God by the Son of God. So let me illustrate it this way. If I were Ken, where are you? And Sharon, if I go over to Ken and Sharon's house, and Dwayne Felver happens to be over there, and Dwayne says to me, hey, Pastor Dave, welcome to Ken and Sharon's place. You can, you can walk right in with your um, shoes on and just help yourself to anything in the fridge. Just make yourself at home. I, I might believe Dwayne. He doesn't lie a whole lot that I know of. I, <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> I'm not saying anything here, Dwayne. I'm just saying I might believe you. But I might also think, well, is that really the case? Because... Dwayne knows Ken and Sharon, but does he know them that well? And does he know that that would be okay? And does he have their permission to share that with me? But if I go over to Ken and Sharon's house and Nate, where's Nate? Nate, their son, says to me, Hey, Pastor Dave, welcome to Mom and Dad's place. Um, Just make yourself at home and leave your shoes on, help yourself to anything in the fridge. I am going to innately believe Nate and do those things, I'm going to feel comfortable doing those things because he's been a son to Ken and Sharon for 20 years. He's lived with them. He knows them. He knows what's okay in their house and what their desires are. And he, as a son, can communicate that to me. Jesus speaks to us this morning as the Son of God. And he speaks to us as one who's been the Son of God, not for 20 years, But for all eternity, He's the only begotten Son of the Father, says the Creed. He knows what the Father is like. And friends, Jesus is inviting us to know and to experience God the Father as He does. So Andrew Murray says it this way. He says something like this. It's not a direct quote. It's just what I remember. He says this, all that the Father is to Jesus, He will also be to us. All that Jesus has in relationship with the Father, Jesus is willing to impart to us. This is our inheritance in Jesus. Only let us learn from the Son of God what it means that we are a son or a daughter of God. And so in the same way that Nate Adema can lead me into his father and his mother's house and into their desires, so Jesus, this morning, Jesus can lead you and I into our Father's heart. And Jesus is ever willing to do that. But there is something, there is one thing that I believe blocks most of us here from learning how to be a son of or a daughter who confidently, joyfully, freely, regularly asks and receives God's provision. And let me tell you a story to illustrate what that one thing is. It's a story about, it's a true story, it's me growing up. Growing up, we had enough money in our family. 
but we didn't have a lot of money. And never extra. And so certainly didn't have enough for an extra car. We had one big blue station wagon. You remember the old Chevy Caprices? Big box. Big blue station wagon. And so mom got the station wagon for bringing the kids to school and for her irregular nursing shifts. He worked nights once or twice a week all the way through growing up. And dad biked to work every day, 15 miles one way and 15 miles back. For 10 to 15 years, my dad biked 30 miles a day in all kinds of weather so that mom could have the car. Now, besides all that biking and working full-time and fathering five young children, he also had very regular responsibilities as an elder at the church where we attended. And so even as a child, it was really obvious to me that my dad worked very hard for our, for our family, but it was also obvious to me that he was tired, almost all the time tired. Oh, he also struggled with headaches. Um, he has for 35 years, just chronic headaches on top of that. So tired all the time. And despite being able to see as a young boy already that my dad was tired, I want to tell you, I want to confess to you this morning that I never once volunteered to mow the lawn. I mowed it regularly, but never by my initiation. So if asked, often several times, I would begrudgingly lay aside my priorities, sports, reading, exploring, to mow the lawn. But never once that I asked my father, Dad, what can I do to help you? Dad, may I mow the lawn for you? Dad, may I? I detested dishes. We had to have a schedule. I would do it if my name was on the schedule, but I never offered to do it otherwise. And you know, I, you've heard me share before, I wasn't a rebellious son, and I, I was a son who was being raised by a loving father, but still, I never once asked my father, Dad, how can I serve you? How can I meet your needs? Why not? Because I was being a normal human being under the all-pervasive influence of sin. Selfish. And so I was thoroughly committed to myself. I was thoroughly committed to my own pleasure, to my own sense of my needs and my desires. But did I spend time thinking about my father's pleasure, or my father's needs? Did I ask myself about my father's business and how I could join him and help him and serve him? No. And so you could really fairly say, that Gus was my father, but that I was not being a son to Gus. Gus was my father, but I was not being a son to Gus. What do I mean? I mean this. That biblically speaking, being a son as defined and demonstrated by Jesus, the Son of God, is first And foremost, being committed to Father's house, to Father's will, Father's desires, Father's everything. To be a son to someone is to be thoroughly committed in every possible way to seeing that person's will be done. And so for me, to be a son to Gus would be that first and foremost, it would have been, I would have been committed, even as a young boy, to my father's affairs. To my father's desires, to Gus's will, to what he wanted done, that I would have sought to serve my father. And as a young boy, not only did I not learn to be a son to my father, but as I grew up into my teenage years, I did grow more and more argumentative, rebellious, 
difficult to my father. And even though I never overtly rebelled, I still strongly and regularly challenged my father's authority. I resented his discipline. I resented it. And in the end, resenting his discipline led me to closing my heart toward it. So that didn't mean I didn't obey it. He just closed my heart to being disciplined by him. And so we kept living in the same home together, and I abided by most of the rules, though never joyfully, and always for my own advantage. And so at home, under my father's fathering, I never learned to be a son. I never learned to be one who is wholeheartedly, thoroughly, unreservedly, trustingly committed to a father's good pleasure. I didn't learn to be a son. And I had a father that was humble and loving. What happens to our hearts when our fathers are critical? Stern, demanding, absent, abusive. Most of us as we grow up do not learn to be a son or to be a daughter. We do not keep our hearts open to our fathers. We do not learn to be thoroughly, unquestioningly, passionately committed to the interests of a father. And we do not learn to trust with our whole heart, what comes from a father. And then one way or another, we come into God's kingdom. And grace, our sins are forgiven. And our shame and our guilt are stripped away. And we're given this wonderful news. God is your father. And we're told as your father, he says, you may ask and you may seek and you may, you may knock and you will receive and you'll find and you'll have doors open. And Jesus says to us very truly, I tell you, my father will give you anything you ask for in my name. And Jesus tells the truth, right? My father will give you anything you ask in my name. That should be the most joy inducing, confidence producing statement ever. Except Except what? Except if we've never yet learned to be a son or to be a daughter. Because just like Gus can be my father legally and by blood without me actually being a son to him, so God can be our father legally and by blood of Jesus through faith in Him without us learning to be a son or a daughter to God. You see, to be God's son and God's daughter isn't merely a matter of receiving all of the comfort and the nurture and the love and the provision and the protection and the guidance that children receive from parents. It is that. It is that. But that's only half the picture. That's not complete. To be God's son or daughter is to be towards God as Jesus is. It is to be towards God the Father as Jesus is toward Him. Thoroughly, unquestioningly, passionately committed to His Father's interests. Trusting 
his father fully and unreservedly. That is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What the body says, the Bible says is the first and greatest commandment. Friends, if we skip over this, if we don't learn this, we don't learn what it means to be a son or a daughter to someone, to God, as Jesus is, that's when we find ourselves unable to pray joyfully, freely, confidently, persistently, believing that God will meet our every need according to His riches. But as we make it our highest priority and our greatest joy to know our Father, not just to call Him Father, but to know our Father, to see our Father's kingdom come, to see our Father's will be done, to see our Father's name held holy, then we've got every reason to be confident in the answers to our prayers because the same thing that we're desiring is what our Father's desiring. If our desire is His desire, of course He's going to give it. He wants to give it. Psalm 37 that Vic read from earlier says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Why? Why can you count on that being sure? Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, your desire is His desire. They're one and the same. He will give you. And so, of course, we've got every reason to be confident. Think about it this way. What if a business owner, if she had an employee that, um, or what business owner, if she had an employee that was thoroughly and passionately committed to the, the vision of the business, wouldn't give that employee every single resource that they needed to do the work of achieving the vision? Every time, that business owner is going to do it. They have the vision. The owner's got the vision. If they've got the employee who lines up with the vision, they're going to put everything they got in that employee's hands. What army general, if he's got trustworthy officers underneath him, thoroughly committed to his plans, wouldn't give every possible weapon, fuel supply, intelligence, personnel at his disposal? Every time. What good school teacher, if they have a student who's saying, teacher, I want to learn about this and I want to grow in this area, wouldn't take every single resource that they have as a teacher and bring it to that student. If unbelieving business owners and army generals and school teachers know how to make full provision for those who are under their care, how much more won't our Father in heaven all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful, provide for His own sons and daughters as we live our lives for the glory of His name and His kingdom. He will, and so much so that we may ask for anything that would be good or necessary for life as a son or daughter committed to our Father's desires and interests. We may ask for laundry money. As you did sometime in the last year and had a complete stranger pull up in a truck along Bridge Street and hand over the exact amount of money needed to, be, to do laundry. As you were walking to the laundromat, to do it without the money in your pocket after you'd prayed. 
We may ask for a car. I'm talking about physical needs right now. As you heard me say two weeks ago that Jay Knobloch did and had somebody send him anonymously in the mail a check for $5,000. Who has that happened to them? Sons and daughters have that happened to them. His life is consumed first and foremost with the glory of God. When you're consumed with the glory of God and His goodwill, you can ask for anything you need. He isn't going to leave you without it. We may ask for relief from suffering. We may ask for physical healing. We may ask for emotional healing. We may ask for courage. We may ask for faith. We may ask for direction. We may ask for guidance. We may ask for groceries. We may ask for anything and everything we need. We may not receive an answer in the timing we'd like or in the way we'd like, but we may ask with the deepest level of joy and confidence. And I wonder, I just wonder how many of us are blocked from receiving because we won't ask in the first place. Because we don't really believe our loving and perfect Father in heaven wants to provide. James says to us, you have not because you ask not. James 4. But Paul says, God is able to supply, able, he has the ability to supply all, every one of your needs, according to, which every time you hear that word means in proportion to, His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And Jesus Himself says, how much, how much more, hear that word, more, won't your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Because as much as we need physical provision, and we need it, we need spiritual strength. We need spiritual wisdom. We need spiritual gifts. We need spiritual provision. Jesus, When Jesus says this, He's not talking about the first time that we receive the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. That's not what He's talking about. He's talking about the way that God our Father continually longs to impart more of Himself to us. God is spirit. You know that. He is spirit. And you know that you're a spirit being clothed in a body. He is spirit and we are spirits. And through Jesus, Paul says to the Corinthians, you are one in spirit with him. And he continually longs through his spirit to impart, to give more of himself to us. More love, more joy, more peace, more wisdom, more strength, more gifts, more humility, more of everything that He is, and He is infinite. Would you flip the slide? That's a picture of a couple of, um, a couple of square miles of ocean in the South Pacific. I heard recently that it takes about 12 hours to fly from Los Angeles to New Zealand and that during that flight, you're crossing ocean almost the entire time. Could you imagine how much time it would take to explore that water, swimming in it? I mean, it would take 
It would just take lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes to be able to swim back and forth and cross that amount of ocean, never mind exploring its depths. Our God made that ocean with one word. He's infinitely bigger, infinitely greater, has infinitely more than the depths of that ocean. We cannot conceive, we cannot conceive of the width of His love, of the depths of His wisdom and of his, the amount of His strength, all of which He is continually willing to give and to pour into and to make available to sons and daughters. I remember when I first began to realize this, it was so frustrating for me. Because, I'm not, I'm not kidding, you think, you think I would say it's happy right away. But it was so frustrating because I'd get angry. I'd think, well, if God's perfect and perfectly willing to fill me with Himself and give good gifts, then it seems to me that I'm the problem. The problem's within me. That in any way in which I live without hope, you know, despairing, or I live with fear, or I live with anything other than what the Scripture says He would give to me, and He would give all of Himself to me because I'm His Son and He wants to fill me. It's to use me. He wants to remove sin from my life entirely. Any way that I would live with the lack of that, well, it would be me. You know, and so I would just get frustrated and angry with myself. But as time wore on, I began to realize what a comfort it was that the problem was within me. That what a comfort it was that I could pursue knowing and being filled by a Father who's perfect. And that I could count on that perfection. And that I could count on His desire to change me. His desire to fill me. His desire to use me. His desire to answer my prayers. And it changed from frustration to comfort. And that comfort comes when we start with the cross. Which is where Paul starts in Romans 8 when he says, If He's given us Christ, how much more will He not give us all things with Him? Right? All things. So I want to end by taking us into prayer. And I want to invite Pastor Gina up here with me. And we're going to pray with you and for you, but we're going to pray over you. And we're going to ask that God would, would remove, would break down, would take away anything that stands in the way of our living as sons and daughters, experiencing the fullness of His provision, asking, seeking, and knocking with joy and confidence. Let's pray.